Hi everyone, Ashley Brown here. Welcome back to Hawks Insiders, our podcast series with the aspirants for the Hawthorne board and the presidency at the forthcoming elections at the football club. And on this podcast, we actually have one of the big dogs in Andy Gowers, who is uh, running for the presidency of the football club. We'll get to him in one just one moment. Uh, in the meantime, regular co-host Danny Prince. Hello. Ash, good to be back here again with you and uh, really excited to have a chat to Andy and hear what he has to say about, you know, the potential direction of uh, the football club under his leadership. Thanks for arranging the last minute Zoom after I uh, managed to nearly destroy everything. And also Andrew Weiss, hello. Thanks, Ash. G'day. And, and Prinzi, yeah, echo, echo Prinzi's sentiments. Really excited to uh, start picking Andy's brain and uh, find out from his point of view some of the big issues he's facing in getting across the line and and potentially then spending the next few years in the big chair at the club. Andy, welcome. Good to have you with us. Thanks very much, Ash. Daniel Andrew, I'm so pleased to be here. I've, I've been doing a, a bit of media. This is the first pure, purely Hawthorne media that I'm doing. So I'm wrapped to be able to talk directly with you and to our members and, and fans out there. Yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us. We think we're a fairly broad, footy clubs are a fairly broad church. We think our listenership is a fairly broad church of the footy club as well. There'll be people, I think, listening who are, uh, who are very keen supporters of you. And I think those be some people listening who need to be talked around. So this is your opportunity for the next half hour or so to, to do that. I guess we start off with a couple of soft questions, everyone, about their Hawthorne credentials. Yours needs no introduction as a uh, premiership wingman for the club in the famous 1991 flag out at Waverley. But what I want to ask you instead was the the, the, the question you've probably been asked a thousand times uh, since then at various gatherings. Who was the best player you played with at Hawthorne? Oh, look, I, I break it up into different categories. I think the most talented was Darren Jarman. Um, I think the most, I think the best was Jason Dunstall in terms of the importance to the team. And I actually use Jason's career as a bit of a metaphor in business because, um, and people do enjoy this story. Uh, there's a lot of focus on how many goals Jason kicked in games and and all all that side of things. But the thing that I loved in addition to that was how selfless he was. He was a hard chaser and tackler. Um, he hated running. He wasn't a great long distance runner. So a short, a short sprint was more suitable to him, but he was such a selfless person. I remember one time he gave me a, um, uh, he gave me a goal. It was at Victoria Park. He took a mark about 15 meters out, right in front, absolute soda. And I was playing on Nathan Buckley on the wing. And I was always taught as a junior to go to the uh, the goal square just in case. So I stood on the line of the goal square and Buckley didn't follow me. Dunstall kicked it over the man on the mark to me and I turned around and just kicked a, an open goal. I copped abuse from Tony Shaw for for, um, for sneaking away from Buckley. But as I said, well, that's his responsibility to look after me. I don't, I don't have to do it. But that, that just summed up the way Jason Dunstall was on the field. He was absolutely selfless. I'm not sure the Nathan Buckley superstar as he uh, was. I don't think uh, defensive running was a key element of his game <laughs> in his first couple of years. The other question I want to ask you before we get into the serious stuff, and probably does shape a little bit about what we're going to talk to in, in the meat of the podcast, is 
You played for the Hawks in the late 80s, early to mid-90s when that was a power club. And this was a time before footballs were full-time. So you were probably out at uni and getting out in a bit with your mates on the weekend. What was it like to be a Hawthorne footballer at the time when the club was the, the power club of the competition and, uh, and a big part of the, the scene in Melbourne, I guess? Yeah, look, it was very exciting. And look, my... Um... I'd grown up a Richmond supporter. My father played for Richmond, so I could have gone there under the father-son. I lived in Hawthorne, and Hawthorne put me on their list when I was in year 12. So I had a choice of two clubs, Hawthorne or Richmond. And the other thing was my mum was a lifelong Hawthorne supporter. She grew up on, on uh, Glen Ferry Road. So I was, it was a, I've always described it as a heart versus head decision. My heart said Richmond. My head said Hawthorne. Because this, this was 1987, I was making this decision. And Hawthorne had played in the previous, you know, previous few grand finals and were about to play in three of the next four, or four of the next five, actually, including 87. Uh, so, look, it was, very, it was a very exciting era. And, you know, I've, I've said this before um, a few times. My, my very first night walking into the players' uh, door at Glenferry Oval I fell in love with the place instantly. It was it was instant love uh, as legends of the game and legends at Hawthorne clearly walked up and introduced themselves in a very friendly manner. And I nearly stopped every single one of them and said, Dipper, you don't need to tell me what your name is. I already know that. Dermot, you don't have to tell me. Johnny Platten, Chris Langford, John Kennedy, Peter Swab, Gary Bacanara, um, Jason Dunstall. The list, the list goes on and on and on. So... It was very exciting and the challenge was to break in and to get a game. And I was able to do that in my first year and that was a real thrill, a real thrill. So let's get into it, Andy. How did we get to the state of play where you felt you needed to put your hand up to be president of the footy club from 2023 onwards? Where, what's your level of concern and dissatisfaction that we got to this stage? Well, I guess, um, yeah, I just feel like I can uh, contribute. I'll go back a step. Um, I owe the club a lot still. Yes, I've played before and I've been on the board before and I've enjoyed those successes and contributed to them. But I, I still feel a responsibility to, to keep serving and to keep giving back. And I still feel like I'm absolutely in debt to the club. So there's that, there's that push. Um, the other thing is I've watched and observed like all members, like all fans and yeah, clubs go through ups and downs and there's no question that at the moment we're not at the top of the respect ladder in the AFL. We're not the, we're not the destination club that we have been in the past. So I look and I observe and I hear, I hear things and I, I make my own judgments and so on. And um, I mean, let's, Let's break it down in, in simple terms. We've got a, um, a president who has announced he's, he's leaving in Jeff Kennett, who's um, just about, to, well, he's just finished his 11th year as president uh, in his second stint. And I became part of a, a process uh, having stood down from a, um, a director election last year. I stood aside to accept a role on a newly formed nominations committee to find Jeff's successor. Um, and the chairman of that, of that uh, committee was Peter Nankerville. Um, and then, you know, the process goes through and Peter becomes the board nominee. So 
really that that was pretty much the final thing for me and i thought well uh i i reckon um we need to make the members at the center of this club again i think we've gone away from that too much i'd love to see more events i'd love to see more opportunities for members like me like you like the members listening and the fans listening to this podcast i'd love to give the members an opportunity to have more dialogue with the club more events more interaction with our players, if that's possible. Um, opportunities to ask questions, opportunities to hear about the direction, opportunities to hear about strategy. All those things uh, are the sorts of things that I'm looking to drive. And just one last thing, as a, a, I guess a wind up for, for that question. There are a lot of reasons not to do this. It's very time consuming. Um, it's... <laughs> It's high pressure. It's um, it's not a paid role. If there's anyone out there thinking that it is, it's not. I don't know of any board member on any AFL club that gets paid. Um, so you do it absolutely for the love and and you're serving and you're giving back. And that's exactly what I want to do. So that's what's driving it. Thanks, Andy. Um, we'll get into some more specifics around some of those individual items like membership and, and some of the outcomes that you're looking for. But just in terms of the process still going through, obviously we've talked about the nominations committee in the lead up to um, nominations coming through. Just to finalise, I guess, on the nominations process for the election, um, where the club has said that that process is the same that it has been. Um, Hawks for Change uh, has openly said there wasn't public notice or advertising for it. Um, and Peter Nankerville told Hawks Insiders that you and members of Hawks for Change were um, in the boardroom asking about the process back in July. So are you able to shed your thoughts on... Um, on the governance process leading into um, the final uh, cutoff for um, calls for board members uh, and nominations for the presidency and, and your take on how that process ha has been undertaken from a governance point of view. Sure. No problems, Andrew. Be happy to. So with well-run organisations, clubs, businesses, etc. There, there are certain um, expectations. And if you if you look at a, at a, at a club, and look, I'll give you an example. Um, an amateur club that I have represented, I've coached, I've been on the committee of, the Old Zavarians Footy Club, they sent out weeks ago their notice of their AGM. If anybody wants to nominate to join the committee, here's the email address and the phone number of the president. Um, you know, give, give, give that person a, a call or send them an email. Um, we're not being run like that at the moment. So I, I expect that, that that's a, a, normal, um, a normal way to operate from a governance point of view. We, we didn't have any communication that I'm aware of. I don't know whether you guys saw anything or received anything. I couldn't find anything on the website. I didn't get an email. I didn't get a phone call. I didn't get anything. And if any, if any member out there got any communication at all about the election process and the AGM, I'd love to hear about it because it, it hasn't been obvious to me that that has even occurred. So the way I found out about the process to nominate for either um, president or a director role at this year's AGM 
was I was in Paris and somebody alerted me to the fact that the nominations process finished the day after, like 18 hours after. I was on Paris time. This person was on Melbourne time. So I scrambled. I'd already made the decision to nominate and I wanted to have the courtesy to sit down with Peter Nackel because I knew I knew it was Jeff's and, and the board's nominee to be president. I wanted to give him that courtesy of a face-to-face explanation. I didn't have that opportunity. And, and I, I only just got my form in, in the nick of time. Now, to me, that is not the way governance should occur in, in a football club of any description, let alone one of the biggest football clubs in the AFL. No, absolutely. I think um, the there's there's like a, a shroud of of mystery around the governance for this AGM, which which you know just shouldn't be there. It, it this this process, whatever it is, just needs to be clear and easy, easily uh, understood by every single member and every single fan and anybody invested in the club. Um, further to that. Um, You've now nominated um, yourself for president of the, of the football club and, um, you know, obviously hoping to uh, be voted in at the AGM or ahead of the AGM. Um, we're really, really keen, Andy, to, I know you've put a letter out through Hawks for Change, but really get your take and your voice on what it is that you are looking to change and what you'd like to implement as I guess maybe the top three things for you ahead of this presidency term if you're elected sure thanks Daniel for the question look the, the three things in a nutshell well the overall theme is getting getting Hawthorne back to its best and I've, and I've broken into three areas and they're, they're in three areas for good reason and I think they should happen in this order the first one is to um, unify the Hawthorne Football Club. So the fact that um, there's <laughs> there's different views about the governance, for example, shows that uh, we're not completely united in our views or our approaches. So I reckon the first thing is to unify the club. I'll come back to a couple of points underneath underneath them all. The second point is to get back to being the family club. Um, you know, all for one, one for all from our from our theme song. Um, is there for a really good reason. And I've, I've talked about putting members at the centre of our thoughts and our, our actions, and I'll, I'll come back to that. And then the third thing is enjoying success again, playing to win. Um, so if I can come back to each in turn. So in terms of unifying the club, one of my first tasks will be to unify the board and will also be to let members know that... Um, any um, any issues within the club? I've I've publicly said this before. Also, any wrongs that have happened, let's let's as much as we can, let's try and right them. Let's find out where we're at. Let's take uh, the temperature of the club. I, I need to get inside the tent to understand all of that properly, and and I'm outside the tent at the moment. I've I've been um, I've been peeking inside the tent, but I haven't been in it. Um, the other thing it leads to my third point about success, but having off-field stability, I know from being a player in times of really good off-field stability and not so, the difference it makes from an on-field perspective. And from a footy department perspective and a team perspective, it's absolutely critical that everything is going as well as it possibly can off the field. It's hard enough winning games of AFL football 
in 2023 and beyond with everything going well off field, if it's not going well or not going as well as it should, it makes it really hard. So we need to give Beck, Sam and the whole football department every opportunity to perform to their best. Uh, as far as the, uh, the family club bit is concerned, I want to go back to that point about members. Putting members in the middle of the club, I think, is key. Giving members a voice, ha having more gatherings, whether that be at Glenferry Oval, whether that be at Bunjil Bagora, Waverley Park, whether that's at our, our new home, um, the Kennedy Community Centre, whether that's on Zoom, town halls, pubs, clubs, whatever it is, giving members more opportunities to speak and more opportunities to hear from the board, the executive, players, various people around the, uh, the Hawthorne Footy Club community, making the family club the family club again. And the, and the final point, Daniel, was that, that thing about success. Yes, I think it's pretty obvious off-field stability can then lead to on-field success. And just on that, I have been on the record and I'm, I want to say it here to all the members and all the fans listening, including you guys, that I am right behind Sam Mitchell and Beck Goddard. I'm right behind the strategy and the, um, the approach with the youth policy. I mean, our women's team was so young this year. Some of the, some of the, um, the young women in that, in that team are still at school. We've got a young list also in the men's program. And, you know, we've seen Tom Mitchell and, and Jager O'Meara leave to go to other clubs. And we've seen Jack Gunston, um, you know, affect his, um, his, his, um, his free trade uh, rights there and, and go to Brisbane. So there's a lot of experience out the door there. But if you look at the makeup of premiership sides in this modern era, if you take out the oldest two or three players and take out the youngest because they skew the numbers, the average age, uh, sorry, the average number of games is around about 110. So we've got to get our young list to the point where, I mean, there's, there's nothing to say you can't do it before they get to that point. You can, you can overachieve. I mean, I, I haven't looked at the stats, but I would, I would imagine our 2008 side was younger than this. But nevertheless, around about 110 games for, say, 20 of the 22 players is around about the average for premiership sides in this era. We've never seen a more competitive era because the any given Sunday model that the AFL have been um, implementing for years that being anyone can beat anyone on any given day. That is something that is, we're not far away from having that. If, if one side is slightly off and the other side is on, normally the side that is on wins. And that, that's a good, healthy thing for the competition. From a Hawthorne footy club point of view, we want to buck that trend and we want to be successful again. And I know that fans and members, including me, want that. Andy, it's interesting that um, and the footy seems to be ring, the footy operation seems to be ring fenced away from this battle for the board, and that's probably the, the one thing in favour of the club is everybody, no matter your politics, your, your version of club politics, seems to think that the footy programs are on the right track. So in a way, that this is not 
this is a battle for other parts of the footy club rather than football itself, which is a core business, which I guess is good. Yep. You talk about the family club. question we've, we've been asking all the candidates, and we're getting some interesting answers, is given that f- at least four past players of the football club are uh, what nothing to do with the club at the moment, including one high-profile example, Sir Rioli, um, the Sandy Ferguson ethos so, uh you embrace Hawthorne, Hawthorne will embrace you, not really working for some at the moment. Should the club park the family club moniker for the time being to get some cultural issues sorted out? Look, I think the absolute opposite, Ash. I think the family club is what we're all about. Every family, if, if you continue the analogy, every family has its issues and struggles and challenges and times when someone doesn't feel um, as happy as they would like to with, with the situation. So my, my clear and... Um, decided view on that is what can we do so that they do feel welcome and embraced what what how can we make sure that they feel that that the Hawthorne footy club is a great space for them to be and at at different times they have felt like that so how can we make sure that happens again I went through this myself I didn't feel um, welcome and embraced after I got traded to Brisbane but when I moved back to Melbourne and Ian Dicker approached me and actually took the time as, and he was president at the time. He asked me one night off the cuff, he said, can I ask how you feel about the Hawthorne Football Club right now? And I said, Ian, I don't, I don't feel like I quite belong. And he said, do you mind telling me why? And I said, no, I don't mind at all. I said, look, I, um, I know it wasn't promoted like this in the media, but I, I was traded to Hawthorne um, initially against my wishes. Once I realized it was, it was happening, I then got a choice of where I wanted to go. But I, was, I, I didn't want to leave Hawthorne, I wanted to stay. And when I, when I realized that wasn't going to happen, uh, I got to choose where I went. I went to Brisbane, I've come back and I just don't feel like I fit in at Hawthorne anymore. And he said, are you open to the idea of, of um, <laughs> you know, feeling welcome again? Uh, if I, if I have a bit of a think about how that might happen, I said, I, and I said, absolutely, I'm very open to that. I'd, I'd love that. And he said, give me a few days and I'll come back to you. He rang me about three or four days later and he said, would you, would you like to come or would you be, um, uh, yeah, would you come to the jumper presentation? It was happening a week or two after this phone call. Would you come and present a jumper at the jumper presentation night? And, and ha- having, having played at Hawthorne for seven years and then a, a further five years with Brisbane, I know that the jumper presentation night to the, to the players is culturally and arguably the most important function that the, the club has from, from a player's point of view. And so I accepted on the spot and I said, I'd, I'd be, I'd be honoured to A, to be invited and B, to attend and that's what I did. So I accepted that, uh, that invitation and I felt part of the fold ever since. I, I haven't once looked back since that time and thought I don't feel welcome and embraced at Hawthorne since that time. So that's what I would say to any, if there's any player in that boat or any, any member, any fan, there might be lapsed members out there who are feeling like that. There might be, there might be fans listening who are considering becoming a member. My message to you is please get back in, get back into your family and let's let's get on this ride together. 
Yeah, that's great, Andy. I think I, I think further to this, we need to ask the question and um, and explore some of the issues around the cultural review at the club and and the position we find ourselves in at the moment. And and certainly when you started playing at the club in terms of indigenous culture and history, we basically had none. And up until recent times, through happening over the years. Um, certainly from an Indigenous player point of view. Um, now we've obviously got the review taking place and um, you were you were at the club as director of footy 2013, so similar sort of times when, um, you know, some of the allegations um, that have come through uh, were apparently taking place. What's your take on... Um, on the state of play at the moment, how do we separate that as a process that we have to go through as a club and, and as a board with a legal responsibility um, to the current day situation where, you know, we're still able to recruit a Carl Lehman and he still wants to come and play. And um, we've heard from the Sean Burgoynes and um, there seems to be a separation from what has happened and where we're at at the moment but it's a pretty messy situation. What's your take on the state of play? Um, if you're successful coming into the position, yep. um, what we need to be doing to help try and um, get some peace around this for all parties. Sure. Thanks, Andrew. Well, I think the first thing I'd like to say is my heart goes out to every single person and their families, players and staff that are involved in the, the Egan report and are now about to be involved in the independent AFL panel. So I feel for all of them. And I'm uh, on their behalf, I guess, really looking forward to them and us and the whole AFL community getting um, some closure, some recommendations and dealing with the outcomes of that process. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and, and look, just, just, just to finish off that part too, um, I've, I've read the Egan report and um, it is a harrowing read. Uh, no question. And I don't, I don't want to do or say, and I won't do anything or say anything that will jeopardise the independent process that um, I don't know whether it's started per se, but it's about to if, if it hasn't. The second thing I would say is the, um, it was, it, it's definitely been hard for those that have allegations levelled at them to not have had a chance to uh, to speak and respond. They're about to get that chance in terms of that AFL independent panel. Um, and the other thing I'd say too, I guess the third thing is, whatever the recommendations are from the AFL independent panel, uh, I look forward to dealing with those uh, with compassion, uh, with decisiveness promptly um, and making sure that we're not uh, so I know the term's been thrown around that we're currently culturally safe and yes the uh, the vote of the, the vote there with Carl Amon coming so it would seem to suggest that but I'm, I'm not comfortable or happy with being culturally safe I want us to be leading the market and I notice uh, today when we're recording this, Essendon have just announced that uh, Dean Rioli has joined their board 
as a director, which I think is a, a fantastic move. I've publicly said uh, that I support the Egan report recommendation of a, uh, a general manager of, of Indigenous relations in the club who would report directly to the CEO. So I think that would be a, a um, uh, that endorsement, I think, is a really important one. And, and we, we need to, as I said before, respond, I think, prompt, promptly and appropriately with care and compassion with everybody involved and work our way through it. Look, just, just going back on um, something you said before too, during my playing days at Hawthorne, we had one Indigenous player during my time. So I was there between 1988 and 1994. Willie Rioli Sr., unfortunately, the late Willie Rioli Sr., who passed away this year, the father of Willie Rioli Jr., who's now gone to uh, Port Adelaide, uh, was, was a, uh, a club mate of mine. Uh, we never played in a game together because I was in the seniors when he was at Hawthorne and he, he was in the seconds, but a fantastic fella and a really, really lovely guy and a great character around the place. We all remember Willie very fondly. Um, a, a bit like Jason Dunstall, as I said before, he's actually the only person that Jason Dunstall ever beat in a 3K time trial. So there's a little bit of trivia for you. Um, when I went to Brisbane, I had the honour and the privilege of playing with the likes of Michael Magic McLean, who's absolutely regarded as an elder in the Aboriginal community and absolutely in the, um, in the Indigenous Aboriginal community because he's absolutely seen like a, uh, like a godfather to them. And um, Gilbert McAdam, Daryl White and Chris Johnson. So there, I've, I've had um, that experience as a player. Now what I'd like to do is draw upon those great relationships that I built through my playing days and, and help, help the Hawthorne Football Club. You know, we, we talked about that family before and you said before, Ash, that uh, football clubs are a broad church and the Indigenous staff, players, members, fans, uh, volunteers in and around the Hawthorne Football Club are a vital part of our club and a much loved part of our club. And I wanna make sure that they, they don't feel like it's just culturally safe. I want to make sure that they feel like it's the best place for them to be. Uh, I couldn't love that comment more if I tried, Andy. And that's uh, just probably because it's an area that's really close to my heart as well. Uh, and you can hear that passion. Um, we have um, canvassed uh, Hawks Insiders fans, uh, a lot of them Hawthorne members and Hawthorne supporters, obviously, being a Hawk yep. fan media. Sure. Um, one of the most resounding comments was the clear concern they have over the disconnect between the footy club at the moment and the members. And you touched on that earlier. Um, and you talked about that being one of the key points that you want to address, um, you know, should you be successful. Yep. How do we go about addressing that? You touch on the like events and stuff, yep. but what's yep. the initial thing that we can do um, or that you can do as president um, to connect and reconnect the club with its members? Well, look, uh, Daniel, I'm, I'm, um, I need to be careful. I don't want to make promises I can't keep. So I don't want to, I don't want to have the, the players appearing at uh, <laughs> Bunjil Bagora every, uh, every Wednesday night if it's not going to fit in with their collective bargaining agreement. So that's something that we'll need to work through, that kind of thing. But I, th I think the overall 
concept is that there's the lines of, of communication are more open that the, the footy department like let's let's not forget they are busy doing what they're doing and i know what it's like in there they're, they're heads down and bums up working every day and every night trying to improve our, our young women our, our young men and turn them into premiership players the next crop of premiership players now that takes a lot of commitment a lot of time it's it's seven days a week throughout the, the period of the football season and there's no there's no wonder why they all like to go overseas and have a good holiday at the end of the season because it is absolutely intense in there so i but I do think that members, like I've, I had some contact this morning with, with someone I know who was in the inner sanctum at Hawthorne over a long period of time. And I really respect his opinion. And we were, we were uh, waxing lyrical about times when the players would, uh, would come after every single home game and go back to the social club in Linda Crescent. And they'd be able to mingle um, with fans and supporters and, members of the board might be there and members of staff. And it was a very, it was very much like a big family. Now we're a much bigger family now in those days. So in 1994, the year, sorry, 1996, two years after I was traded, we had 11,000 members. The year after that, we jumped to 27,000 on the back of not merging with Melbourne and the proud, passionate and paid up campaign. Uh, now we're, we're, we have 81,000 membership. So yeah, eighty-one thousand. So we, it is logistically more difficult to have gatherings and events and opportunities, but it doesn't make it impossible. What we do have now, okay, we don't have we don't have the Linda Crescent Social Club, but what we do have are things like we're talking on now. We've got Zoom, we've got uh, ways to communicate. I, I think we can tap into technology and give our members and our fans more access in inverted commas to the football department, the players, there'll be, there'll be smart and clever ways that we can do this. And that's what I'm really looking to help drive. I think it'll be great for everybody. I think it'll be great for the footy department. It'll be great for them to be able to message and to be able to share things. And look, don't get me wrong. Our, our, our marketing team, our, uh, our media teams, they do a fantastic job. Getting, getting content out there, making sure our members and fans know what's happening. In terms of um, some of the things that used to happen that are a bit more logistically challenging, but again, not impossible, I think we can, we can push the boundaries there and I think there's some really exciting things. For example, I saw something only this morning on LinkedIn, Patrick Dangerfield was over in, the New, York, over in New York and he'd attended a New York Jets game and he was raving about the fan experience that he was um, experiencing over there. Now, I don't know what happened, but let, let's look around. Let's, let's find some ways to have more engagement between the footy department as, a, as, a, um, as an area and, and our, particularly our members. It is interesting because the footy club was at its most transparent when it was in the Barossa Valley a couple of years ago when we were getting regular forums with Graham Wright and Justin Rees and others. That's since they've moved back to Melbourne, the, the transparency's uh, gone down the toilet a bit. Um, you've only chosen to endorse one of the candidates for the board, being James Molino. Mm. So there's a two-part question: Why have you only endorsed James and not any of the other candidates? And also, are you concerned about diversity? Unfortunately, 
through circumstances, both the female board members are up for election at the moment. And if the results go a certain way, we'll be, Hawthorne will be down to one female board member, which isn't an ideal state of play in 2022. So you can address both of those. Yeah, sorry. I, I, can you just go back to the first part of that question, Ash? Why did you only chosen to endorse James Molina? Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Five. So why yeah. why only James? And then we'll talk about the are you worried about lack of diversity on the board if results go a certain way. Okay, so the the really quick answer to the first part, which is why I've only endorsed James Molino so far, is because he's the only one that I've had a proper opportunity to discuss um, strategy and values with. So he has publicly endorsed me, and I've publicly endorsed him. Um, I mentioned before about finding out about the the, uh, the process to nominate for the board, in my case, for president, only at the very last minute. And so I've been in scramble mode a fair bit. So just from a practical point of view, I have not yet had an opportunity to speak with the other four board candidates properly. And that will happen in coming days. So as we're recording this, that hasn't been able to happen just yet, but I, I hope that that will happen very soon. So I may have more to say on that um, in coming coming times. And yeah, I'm really pleased you've you've raised the issue of diversity. I mentioned um, Dean Rioli on the board at Essendon. Um, we we could potentially have uh, less women on the board than we have now. We have two now. Three are up uh, in the in the um, the board election uh, out of five. There are five candidates, so two of them are men. Um, so look, uh, we have in the past had had strong females on the board that that are not there now, and we we it just one of the vagaries of the uh, of the election cycle that it happens to be two females are up this year, and when there's um, I guess there's there's a bit of tension in the air in terms of um, uh, running, not running, what's happening, who are the who are the board nominating. Um, I do feel for uh, Katie and Anne-Marie because uh, to some degree uh, they, they may feel the, um, because they've been part of, of this board, they may, may feel uh, labelled in that regard. Um, Maria Louie has gone through a nominations process. I look forward to talking to her. I do know Anne-Marie and Katie already and I'm, I'm yet to meet with Maria. I've never met Maria uh, in the past, so I look forward to speaking with all three of those ladies, hearing what they've got to say from a policy point of view and seeing how aligned we are from um, a, a policy point of view. And the, the last thing I'll just um, close with on that point is diversity is a really good thing. And my half our players are female. And so I'd love to see and want to drive more diversity on the board. Uh, and, and from an, an Indigenous point of view as well, I really, I really salute Essendon's appointment. It's hard to say, isn't it, as a hawk, uh, giving the Don's praise. But no, absolutely hats off to them. So I think that's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful appointment. And I hope that that's a fantastic association there. Uh, I, I'd, like to, um, I'd like to look at that area myself. I think the first step is to, uh, to meet with all the candidates properly and then have a discussion with them. Just a couple more, Andy, this has been fantastic. So, Jeff Kennett, your predecessor, uh, or the current president, soon to be our going president, was in some cases the leader of the opposition when it came to affairs of football and had uh, 
little hesitation in taking to up to the AFL when required. They're arguably at Mr Hawthorne's detriment from time to time. Hawthorne supporters want a president who'll stick up for the club, but they also probably don't want a president who's going to be back, back page of the paper every couple of days bagging the AFL. How will you handle, if, if you feel there's an issue that needs to be taken up with the AFL, and you think Hawthorne, uh, an AFL decision might be adversely affecting the club and perhaps the club's been treated unfairly, how will you handle that? Walk us through your process of dealing with, with AFL HQ acting in Hawthorne's interest. Sure. Well, Ash... My my nature, by nature, I'm a relationship builder. I, I have existing relationships within the AFL, um, which I, I would look to um, maintain and continue. And look, if there's something I don't agree with, I would, I would just speak openly and um, diplomatically, but, but by uh, pushing Hawthorne's interests at all times um, with whoever I need to within the AFL. I, I don't intend to be a, a president that um, messages uh, through the media necessarily. I want to I want to deal with people one on one, um, in in you know in private rooms. Make sure that uh, we are advancing Hawthorne's interests, and you know being being dip, diplomatically forceful is probably the best way I'd describe it. And I think anyone who's known me over the journey, whether it be in business or or in sport. It's funny. Sometimes I, I've I've had people who've asked me and said to me, "Look, you're um you come across as a really um, affable person. How did you ever roll the sleeves up and um, attack the opposition when you crossed the white line as a player?" And I said, "Well, um, thank you for the, for the question. My my approach there was um, shake hands with the opposition after the game." Uh, in those days, we used to have the aftermatch, go and have a beer together, celebrate the uh, the contest. On the field, um, I've always been very a very competitive person. I've always loved my footy, and I always want to win, but not at not at every cost. Not at the cost of our reputation. Not at the cost of um, advancing. You know what's what's right, and um, yeah, that, that that that's my approach in life. So yeah, cross crossing that white line. Whether it's crossing the white line to talk to the AFL or crossing the white line to talk to someone in government or someone that um, has a bearing on the future for the Hawthorne Football Club, I'll do that diplomatically in in the way that I always go about things. Last question on sort of issues before we wrap up is, I mean, you've had, and that with football seems that we talk about football seems to be on the right track, irrespective of who's sort of president on the board. Um, we also have the um, we also have Dingley is happening, albeit slowly. What about Tasmania? Have you given any thought to Hawthorne's future post-Tasmania? Yes, I have. Um, I, I'm in favour of Tasmania having its own team. So I'm, I'm very strong about that. I think that makes complete sense for, for Tasmania. When you look back at our own history, the likes of a, a, a Rodney Ede, a Peter Hudson, my own teammate, my, my fellow wingman, Premiership wingman Darren Pritchard, have all come out of Tasmania. So there is a, we have got such, uh, Tasmania has such a, um, a, a big place in, in the Hawthorne heart, our family's heart. Uh, but I do, I definitely support uh, Tasmania having their own side. And of course that has consequences for our Tasmanian members. Most of whom, there's nearly 8,000 of, of you. Most of you live in Northern Tasmania, but whatever part of Tasmania you come from, you've been a 
massive part of our fabric for, well, about 22 years since we've been playing down there at York Park, Utah Stadium. So I look forward to whatever that means for Hawthorne. A bit, a bit like your earlier question, Ash, I'll be driving what's best for Hawthorne in that context and making sure we do whatever we can to support not only our members and our fans, but the Tasmanian community. We have put, and anyone down there in Tassie can, can vouch for this, we have put in a hell of a lot of effort into the Tasmanian community. And I, I, and I know that that is greatly um, appreciated by, by our Tassie fans and members. And just one example of that, in, in the, um, the three-peat era, we would always fly down to Tassie the day after, um, you know, things, um, you know, that was where we went first. We'd go down there with a cup and celebrate with our Tassie members. Now, that, that was a, a, an absolutely um, tried and true, well, it's the wrong term. That, that was always at the front of our mind. Look, let's make sure we go down and celebrate with our Tassie members and fans. And that community has given us so much and, and we, like to we would like to continue to give back to them also. Just as we record, finish recording this, uh, the news has just uh, emerged that Gary Ayres will be launching your campaign. You're doing a rally on Sunday on, on Zoom. Do you feel that uh, in shaping your views of the club, have you counselled many of the, of the players from that golden era, that 80, mid-80s to early 90s era? Do you sort of feel that are they, are those experiences and their views shaping what you think you might want to do with the footy club going forward if you're president? Yeah, absolutely, Ash. And look, whenever whenever making a decision, I think that's one of your um, your default. Well, as a, as a past player, it's one of your default things to consider. What do I? What will my teammates think? I I um I organised the nineteen ninety one. Um, we had a whole of club reunion. We, we there was the seventy um, yeah sixty one seventy one ninety one joint reunion, which was the official one organised by the club. But the the um, the ninety one club and everybody was invited from bootstutter up to president, and everybody in between. Everyone was invited, and we gathered at uh, the Glenferry Hotel, and celebrated the ninety one season. And unfortunately, it was the last time um, we got to spend a moment with Paul Deere before he passed away. He was very very unwell, but it was so good that he made the effort to come. Um, you know that 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 spirit and that that uh, what we what we call brotherhood i'm sure i'm sure the uh, the women call it sisterhood that is something that is irreplaceable and you always have that bond and i never make any decision about the hawthorne football club without considering what my teammates would think just like you do when you're a player and so they're always at the forefront of my mind i've reached out to many of them and in some cases, it's just a matter of giving them a personal explanation as to why I'm putting my hand up and what my views are. And um, I'm very pleased to say that, um, you know, I've, um, I've got a lot of support there. So I'm very grateful to those guys. To finish up, we're offering everybody this opportunity. Give us your 30-second stump speech. Why people should uh, vote for you to be president of footy. I know you've, you've talked about a few things already, but just give us your 30-second yeah. stump speech. Well, um, I want to bring Hawthorne back to being its best. I've experienced the Hawthorne Football Club, the place I love as a, a, a premiership player and a, and a premiership football director in the past. And I want, I want more people to experience that success and the fun along the way. And I think I've got the credentials to, I'm not saying I've got all the answers, but 
I think I've got the credentials and the passion and I'm prepared to commit to do whatever we need to do to get back to being the club that we all want us to be, being at our best. And I'm going to do it via three things. I want to unify the Hawthorne Footy Club. I want to make sure we get back to being the family club by putting members at the centre of everything that we do and say and think about. And I want to, I want to bring, bring us back to our next Premiership era. Very good way to finish, Andy. We thank you for your time and your candor with us on Hawks Insiders. Um, we wish you the best for the campaign as it continues and for the vote when it starts. Um, we encourage everybody to listen to what everyone's got to say and, uh, and, and cast your vote accordingly. It is a really important uh, time for the footy club to get this stuff off the field right so that the progress being made on the field can be matched by offered. So we thank you for your time. Best of luck. And uh, if you are successful, um, you are, have a standing invite anytime you like to come on Hawks Insiders <laughs> and uh, write for us or talk to us and uh, and uh, as a conduit to the fans, uh, uh, we'll always be open to you. So uh, thanks for your time. Thanks, Ash. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Daniel. I'd love to take up that invitation if I'm successful. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this podcast. Don't forget, on Thursday night, the 17th, mm -hmm. Cal Toomey, the guru, of the AFL draft will be coming on to talk about the all the prospects that may be heading Hawthorne's way at a very important draft come uh, later this month. So don't miss that. Thanks for your support of Hawks Insiders. $5 a month, $50 for a year. Uh, plenty of great content on the Substack as well. So thanks for your support. Thanks for listening. We've got more candidates to come after this. Peter Nankoval, the president, his uh, podcast will be up soon. And next week we start going to talk about some of the other board members as well and they'll be up as soon as possible. Thanks everyone and goodbye.